You're listening to the Just Giants Podcast with Grump and the Cranky Fan. Be sure to listen for free on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and Podbean. Four-man rush. Manning still gets pressure. Now there's Barkley again. A first down leaping over people. Saquon Barkley. First down for the Giants. He jumped over Adrian Amos, the safety, and he picked up 17. Welcome back to Just Giants with Grump and the Cranky Fan, the best damn podcast for the best damn football team. I'm your host, the Football Grump, and with me as always is Mike, the Cranky Fan. Hey, Grump. Hope you enjoyed uh, Championship Sunday. It was a pretty fun uh, pretty fun Sunday afternoon of watching football. You know, my fondest memories of Championship Sunday involved me tearing my hair out um, <laughs> in a game against San Francisco in 2011 and then a game against Green Bay um, – in 2000, I guess it was the 2007 season, um, which is funny because they were flip-flopped in, in a certain way. In, in 2007, because of the way they ended their regular season, I really felt like they could beat the Patriots, but I never thought they would get there because I didn't think they would get past the Packers. And in 2011, I, I guess it wasn't flip-flopped. I, I, I knew for sure we could beat the Patriots, but... Um, we had lost to the 49ers in the regular season and they just played like shit that night. And I had the feeling when that game ended, like we could have beaten this team. Like, I know that, that the giants can hang with them, but they just didn't put it together that day. Oh, I mean, championship Sunday memories for me, geez. Cause I, you know, I am older than the grump. It's hard to believe with my youthful voice and all, but, uh, I, a lot of you Giant fans remember 86. You know, after we blew out San Francisco in the in the um, divisional game, that uh, that 17 nothing game against Washington with the crazy wind and everybody throwing papers in the air. So Giant Stadium, it was just a big swirl of paper. You know, the, the defense was really getting ridiculous how good it was back then. And then obviously the one in 1990, another game in San Francisco, um, the classic with the Roger Craig fumble late in the fourth quarter where I thought we were, you know, I thought we were screwed that whole year. Giants and San Francisco were both at one point where I think we were 11 and zero. they both lost. We meet in, in the, in the uh, NFC championship game and Matt Barr hits the field goal. That was a huge, you know, I, I, there have not been many more giant teams. I've been more personally invested from start to finish than that year, that 1990 mm-hmm. team, um, the 2000 game, of course, the, uh, the 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 forty-one nothing blowout against Minnesota and Ike Killier just out of his ass. You know, Kerry Collins playing Kerry the game. Kerry Collins of his was life. out of his ass. Play, play, play the game of his life for, for yeah. sure. Um, you know, that was one of those. If you remember back that season, two thousand, you know, the the media sheep are going with that same storyline. This is the worst ever one seed in playoff history, and my. Minnesota was favored by almost like a touchdown. I think it was something crazy, hmm. and uh, that was a complete route. And then, obviously, as, as Grump alluded to, the two, uh, you know, the two games in the the Patriots Super Bowl era. You know that, uh, you know, the, the classic one in Green Bay with the freezing cold and Coughlin's cheeks, and you know the pick both, and overtime. Both went to overtime, yeah. Yeah, the pick in overtime. Um, you know the the field goal, and then the one in. San Francisco, where we were actually able to go to that game, and it was, you know, 
cold and chilly and misting the whole time. The, the fumble, another fumble in mm-hmm. overtime too. It was, um, yeah. So Giants have had a pretty fun run of conference championship games. So when, you know, we, every year when this weekend comes along, there's lots of fun, uh, fun times to remember. Both of these games kind of felt like, uh, felt closer like the, the Minnesota game. Not quite that much of a route, but never really felt like a close game in either one of them. I mean, the, the Chiefs got off to a, a rocky start, but. Both teams, there was a definitive, there's a better team playing today, and they were both the home team, and they both, you know, just because you don't beat a team by 46 doesn't mean that you're dominant over another team. I think that's kind of what I think that's kind of what we saw this week. But more importantly, there were actual Giants news over the weekend. So oh, we'll get to them? the games later. <laughs> yeah, remember that team, the Giants? <laughs> yeah. So pain in the ass fucking news came out on Friday, which is such an inconvenient time for us to to do a show that people care about. So Instead, we decided to take the weekend and really look at things instead of having a hot take instant reaction, which we do like to do for big news. Um, but, of course, yeah. yeah. But but big news: the Giants hired a, an offensive coordinator, so now their 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 core of coaches are set. We have head coach Joe Judge. We we've kept special teams coordinator Thomas McAfee. Um We've hired um, defensive coordinator Brian, not Brian Flores, Patrick Graham. And uh, now offensive coordinator, Jason Garrett. It's a, uh, you know, it's one of those things when, you know, as soon as he was fired or unconsciously uncoupling or whatever they want to call whatever happened in Dallas, uh, you know, he was linked already to the Giants. First the head coaching job and the offensive coordinator job and people freaked. Yeah. You know, we. I mean, it's very safe to say that neither Grump or I or anybody listening to this show wanted Jason Garrett to be our head coach. No way. We, we've had a lot of examples. We brought it up on this show all year and in previous seasons about you know, there is a big difference between a very successful coordinator in this league and being a very successful head coach. And, you know, look no further to Pat Shermer, who mm. took him about – did it even take him 10 days to get another job? In Denver, it was very quick. Quickly, he was snapped up. And yeah, was, I mean, he was kind of let go right at the end of the season. It was like the day after. It was Monday, right? So that was right. still December, I think. And he got the job as the Broncos offensive coordinator, I guess, last week. So it was about fifteen, twenty days. It, it was not very long. To, to to credit your point, the point the the point being is that people know what his skill set is, and just because he was a failure. Now, a two-time failure as a head coach does not mean that he has a very valuable need in this league and fills a valuable void. And the same thing, I think, with Jason Garrett. Um, you know, just looking at him purely as an offensive guy and what the role he's taking on with the Giants, it seems kind of like a pretty good fit if you think about, you know, what was the Cowboys' offense. The Cowboys' offense was, you know, they had an elite running back. They had you know, running behind an elite offensive line, a quarterback who, you know, we've done hours and hours on this show debating about, but, you know, at the end of the day, is a quarterback who can move around a little bit, you know, question is, is accuracy or stuff. Well, we have a quarterback who can move around a little bit when he has to, is more accurate and might be better suited for more of a vertical game than 
what we've been doing with this kind of variations of a West Coast offense. And, you know, the Giants seem to, in the last five or six years, adopt the completion percentage is the most important thing over effectiveness and anything else with the offense. So I think we're going to see, you know, I think the core of this team will always be around Saquon Barkley, you know, running the ball and being an option out of the backfield. But I think you're going to see a little more, a little more verticalness of this offense with Jason Garrett. Uh, I think we're going to need to upgrade the, the wide receiving core a bit. And I think now that you have a coaching staff in place, now that's just where Gettleman can start building his team around the needs that are being asked of him as opposed to just building a team. Well, let's start with what Jason Garrett is, right? So Jason Garrett, um, Jason Garrett himself is a former quarterback. Um, mm-hmm. He, I, I think at one point, play, he did play for the Giants at one point, but mostly um, he did play for the Cowboys. He played in the WLF, WFL, WLAF, right? What the hell is it? The World League of American World League of American yeah. Football. It was there was a strange combo of things, yes. the European League and all that other shit. But you know, what's we'll say it like this. I mean, he he was an underachieving backup quarterback. Um but would then become a quarterback's coach, right? Um and he didn't even have to stay in that position for long before he was promoted to offensive coordinator with the Cowboys in 2007 where he remained until 2010 where he would take over as interim head coach and then, you know, from then on would just be the head coach. Um, He had gotten a lot out of Tony Romo and I would say even more from Dak Prescott. Um, And as as you said, they're both movers as far as the quarterback position goes. I mean, Tony Romo, I think, I have to think about this now, he might be... I think he definitely is top five quarterbacks for movement in the pocket, not running downfield, but movement in the pocket. I mean, that dude would drop back, scramble left, turn around, scramble right, and then throw some fucking 40-yard bomb routinely. I mean, week after week, right? I mean... Tony Romo's big problem always was, and we see it in quarterbacks like Jameis Winston. Jameis Winston does it more than Tony Romo, but makes the mistake at the wrong oh, time. Oh, yes, definitely. I mean, that's it. I mean, if you, I hate to say, you know, if you could take away the interceptions, you know, or the fumbles or whatever, you know, Tony Romo probably has a couple of Super Bowl mm-hmm. rings and is probably regarded as. Better than Troy Aikman and right up there with Roger Staubach for the best quarterback in team history. But unfortunately, he tended to self-destruct a little bit with that inopportune yes. mistake. And that cost his team and cost him for personal glory. So, Right, but I mean as far as, 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 far as his ability to, to extend plays with his legs, but not, not take off and run often, but usually just keep everything moving down behind the line of scrimmage and then – make something big play uh, downfield, he was one of the best. And, um, you know, Dak Prescott is a little bit more, he's built a little different. He's kind of a runner anyway, but he does a lot of that himself. Um, I think for Daniel Jones' development, this is probably a really good move. 
I think, as far as what Jason Garrett can do with a quarterback. I go back to this all the time, the fucking all or nothing, where he stays after after practice with Dak Prescott and they just do different accuracy drills where they're just the two of them just both throwing footballs at the at a railing or something from however many yards away. Well, here's the thing, Grump. Jason Garrett now has seven days a week, 24 hours a day to worry about the yep. offense and the quarterback. He is not in a room talking to his other coaches about game planning. He is not worrying about the strength and conditioning coach. He is not worrying about prepping for his radio show. He's not worrying about all the things that are involved in the 95-hour-a-week job of being a head coach. His responsibilities now are on one side of the ball, implementing and calling a play, you know, play calling and prepping his quarterback, you know, both in his development and his prepping for each individual game. So, again, like Pat Shermer, we thought that his big downfall was that he was spreading himself way too thin. I think this is a very similar thing that happened with Jason Garrett. And now he doesn't have to worry about that anymore. He's got one job. It's a big job, but it's one thing he can focus on. Yeah, and, and there was – um. There was some sentiment that that you know the the play calling duties were taken away from him and stuff. So I, I decided to dig a little bit. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I did crazy research and looked into everything, but um, I looked into what the Dallas Dallas offense was all about from 07 to 10 while he was the offensive coordinator. In 2007, that team was 13 and three in the league. They ranked third in total offense, 17th in rushing, and fourth in passing. In 2008, um, in which Tony Romo was out for three games and came back with a splint on his pinky, they still went 9-7, and seven, which is like the best record the Giants have had in forever. Um, they ranked 13th in total offense, 21st in rushing, 9th in passing, with Romo out for three games and came back with a splint on his pinky for, for others. In 2009, they went 11-5. and five. They ranked second in total offense, seventh in rushing, sixth in passing. That's incredible. 2010, with Tony Romo going out with a broken collarbone, which eventually ended in Wade Phillips firing because he only played six and a half games. Actually, broke his collarbone in the game against the Giants. They went six and ten. I think they ended five and three down the stretch under Jason Garrett as head coach, interim head coach. They still ranked seventh in total offense. 16th in rushing, 6th in passing, with guys like Kitna as their quarterback. Those are, that's a resume to brag about, in my opinion. When you're, when your starting quarterback is out for extended time in two seasons, and you still go 13-3, and 9-7, and 11-5, 6-10, that's pretty good. There's two other intangibles also that he brings to the table besides what he does for the offense. Number one, he knows the NFC East. Mm, it's true. He's, you know, not only just from a coordinator standpoint, as a head coach, and he's been here a long time. It's not someone who was with the Cowboys for three years and has moved on. How long was he the coach? Nine years? The head coach? Yeah. Since the middle of 2010. Okay, so you're talking nine-plus seasons. Mm-hmm. Everybody in the, divi- in the division, even the Giants now, has 
you know, recycled and gone through different quarterbacks. And coaches. Everybody has had – and different head coaches, different offensive and defensive coordinators, almost complete flips of rosters. So he is intimate with the entire division, including the Giants too. So, you know, it's not like he has to learn from scratch like Joe Judge does about the roster. He He kind of knows – you know, on the surface, at least what this offense and the roster has. So that's, that's a, a pretty good advantage. Secondly, and it kind of ties to it also having a head coach experience yep. will be vital for a brand new head coach who has no head coaching experience. Now I know, and this is something I've had in the back of my mind too. And Alliance giant fans out there have this same trepidation that we all know that ownership loves Jason Gary. And the logical thought would be if Joe Judge, you know, bombs, whether it's in year two or year four or whenever, Jason Garrett is there to become the next head coach. And, you know, based on what he did as a head coach, that scares some people. Mm -hmm. I, you know, that is in the back of my mind. I'm not going to worry about that. I'm not going to, you know, be up at night worrying it. Um, If Jason Garrett, is very successful as offensive coordinator, gets another head coaching job. He's going to go somewhere else. And if he's successful, that means the Giants have a good offense. That means Joe Judge is winning games. He's not going anywhere. So, you know, but I don't think he was brought in here specifically to hover over Joe Judge or be like, you know, the, you know, if you're not doing well, you're going to be replaced by someone in, in house. So I, I, I think the positives, you know, far outweigh the negatives. Look, if if your biggest problem is that your offensive coordinator might be gone for a head coaching position in a year or two, that's a good problem to have. Ultimate, I mean, that can happen. That can happen with Joe Brady. If Joe Brady comes that's into what, the NFL and he blows everybody away in two years, he's got a fucking head coaching job anyway. Yeah, that's that was the thing with everybody. You know, the I think it was Eric Bieniemy said he was going to bring him in, or I forget who it was. It was um, One of the, Wink Martindale. Wink Martindale. His basically his candidacy was, well, I can bring Joe Brady with me. Well, that's great. What happens when Joe Brady leaves? Because he will. I mean, this guy is a obviously a fast tracker and a rising star. You know, he will be a head coach by the time he's thirty two or thirty three years old. So. I can never – and I. this is the same thing about in college as well as the NFL is I can't worry about assistant coaches. I can't worry about coordinators because if they're good, they're going to advance. And that's just the way football is. And you know, it all comes down to players as well. You have the greatest coordinators in the world, greatest head coach in the universe. You don't have the talent. doesn't matter. So – Absolutely. Overall, yeah. yeah. Overall, so far, you know, as much as we know about these this coaching staff that's being assembled, you know, it's fine. You know, I'm not throwing any hissy fits about anybody. I'm not dancing in the streets about who we got for anybody. I think it's it's more important right now that Joe Judge is comfortable with the people that he's brought in, and you know, this is not the coaching staff that'll be static for the next six years. You know, changes will be made. We made positive and negatively if necessary. So let's uh, – before we run out on Twitter and we want to start firing people and blame it all on Gettleman and you know, say the mayors need to sell the team, which I've seen 
based on hires this offseason, let's let's relax. Let's and let's not make any snap decisions after week one, week five, year one. I mean, we've just been through the last two coaches where we've seen you know the transition time takes some time. Yeah. Um I actually think that mostly Giants Twitter has been okay with the Jason Garrett hiring. Um, I think that plenty of people um, understand the difference between being an offensive coordinator and being a head coach. Um, and I, I, I think a, a percentage of that do have trepidation about him eventually becoming the head coach. And that's fine. I understand that. But ultimately, I, I was pretty impressed with the way Giants Twitter reacted to the news of the hiring. And um, personally, he wasn't my first pick. I kind of secretly was hoping for Jay Gruden. Uh, but I like this pick. I, I'm okay with it. I think that this roster is already set up to do probably what he can do on offense. You know what I'm saying? Well, I, I, I think the important caveat as we're discussing this is, you know, let's – Again, calibrate what expectations are for the Giants in 2020 and beyond. Mm-hmm. I mean, 2020, we said this last week's show, really is the year we want to see this team finally starting to look like they know what they're doing. And we were hoping that you know a playoff run starts in a couple of years afterwards. So this is still a transition year for sure. I, mean, I don't want to hear anybody talking about you know, they made a mistake with this coaching staff and firing people if this team is still 7-9 or has a three-game losing streak because, you know, they don't have the talent yet to make that playoff run. Look, man. This if, is staff. If, I'm, just, I'm just trying to set expectations. Yeah. Well, I'm just saying if they go 8-8 eight and eight next year, that's like – that's good. That's a good starting point for cleaning house. Um and that's a set. They, I mean, they didn't quite clean house, but they wiped out pretty much everything. Um, eight and eight is a good spot to end up next year. You're in the hunt until about probably the end, probably. Um, you know, you have a second year quarterback. That, that that's pretty good. A first year head coach. You know, first time with this coaching staff together. Eight and eight is a pretty good spot to be. It's encouraging. It's a huge step up from where we were where we've been. So, you know, if that's where they end up, then that's, that's a good start. It's, I think it's, it's promising. It shows that they've pivoted. They've maybe turned a corner. Um, we'll see though. I mean, there's a lot of variables that your, your record is just a number. It really depends on what we see. Yeah. We want to, we want next December to have a whole lot better feeling about this organization than we do, you know, on January 20th or September 1st. The Giants also made another coaching hire, longtime running back coach Burton Burns. Burton Burns was the Clemson running back coach from 1999 to 2006 and then became the Alabama running back coach from 2007 to 2017. So just for some context, he has coached the likes of Mark Ingram, Trent Richardson, Eddie Lacy, TJ Yeldon, Kenyon Drake, Derek Henry, Damian Harris, Josh Jacobs, Bo Scarbo. That's just some. Those are just recent, honestly. The most important thing about all of these guys, I'd say there's two really important things, especially when you consider what he's done at Alabama. 
Yeah, well, the most important thing to me is he's not in the SEC anymore. But <laughs> go on. But go on. I mean, it is truly a next man up, no drop off. And part of that is recruiting, but part of it is also coaching. The thing that's more coaching than it is recruiting is that all of these guys have a different set of skills and were all still utilized at a very high level. Josh Jacobs is not in any way Derrick Henry. And that being said, I have no worries about what he can do with the likes of Saquon Barkley. I I mean, as as far as, you know, what the average schmo like us knows about assistant coaches like running back coaches, this seems like a very smart hire. Yeah, I mean, it's a lot easier to, you know, make a statue out of marble than out of limestone. And he's being dealt a big piece of marble yes. in Saquon Barkley. So, you know, sure. the, the question is, you know, what are the what are the what are the holes right now in Barkley's game as he comes out of year two, going to year three that need to be tweaked? And really, when you're when you're talking about position coach, you're talking about what can be done to tweak. And also, the secondary thing is, how does he bring someone up to speed behind Saquon Barkley? I mean, what are we doing with Wayne Gallman, who kind of went MIA for the second half of the year? I mean, if he was really in the doghouse with the prior coaching staff, that coaching staff is gone. So, so Wayne Gallman is is 25 years old. 2020 is the last year of his rookie contract. So whatever doghouse he was in, like you said, that's this is a clean slate for him. He can show this coaching staff that he's worth keeping, or at least he's worth some playing time with Barkley. And we got a guy, you know, we think is a pretty decent position coach who can do a fresh evaluation of him during, you know, OTAs, training camp. He will get a fair shake, and if for, sure. and if for some reason that they it's going to part ways with him, he won't make this roster in September. But you know, I think now with the new direction and you know, seems like an upgrade in in, in you know, coaching. Yeah. He he will get a he will get a, a fresh look and a fair look. Yeah, I mean, there's there's no reason for him to to not as long as he he shows that he can do it. I mean, he's not going to be cut for any. Financial implications: The dude's going to make seven hundred and thirty thousand dollars. Yeah, next year. I mean, it's, it's, it's literally nothing. His cap hit is eight hundred. So, you know, it, it's not as if he has to really show that he's worth it against some undrafted free agent or whatever. Because financially speaking, he he's a nobody. So, if he goes in there and he shows that he can do it, he's he's at that advantage where he doesn't carry around with him the burden. Of, of a high um, and, a high cap hit. And let's remember what his role is, too. We're not talking about someone who's going to – needs to be dairy. We're talking about someone that needs to you know, give Saquon a blow. If Saquon has to sit for a series or even a game, he can go in there and he can just hold the fort down with the running game. Well, I mean, essentially, this offense should be, as far as I understand it to be, it should be focused around Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley. You know, mm-hmm. his role will then be to have as little of the playbook removed when he goes in for Saquon Barkley as possible. 
So if he can perform things at a similar level in terms of he can run this play, he can do this, he can run this route against the linebacker or something, keep the defense as honest as possible, that's what any backup running back in this offense should be. So, I mean, he doesn't have to be, you know, the whatever earth, wind, and fire that the Giants had in 2008. You know, he doesn't have to do something different from Barkley. I think this offense is Barkley. So when he goes in for Barkley, he has to be Barkley. Right. He, he won't have the skill set to do exactly what Barkley does. He no, but I mean, as long as as long as the defense doesn't feel like a whole section of the playbook is gone because right. he's in, right. then he's doing good. Yeah. He won't be creating something out of nothing like Barkley does, or taking something and making it, you know, to the house every time or anything. But he still has to be, you know, capable to uh, to do things. And for what it's worth. In the time that he played for Barkley this year, he performed well. That's what made it, that's what made it so yeah. confusing. Yeah. It really really was perplexing, but then again, so were so many things this year. <laughs> I have a lot of questions about things. <laughs> but but everyone's going to get a clean slate and that goes for people like Barkley as well. So whatever kudos he's earned, whatever Whatever maturity he's shown from when he was drafted to now, that all goes out the window. So his mediocre or subpar pass blocking, that's going to be just as on display as his electric tackle breaking. Right. Exactly. So he he's going to have to operate right from square one just like everybody else. Mm-hmm. Fun fact about Jason Garrett, he was actually on the 2000 2000- uh, New York Giants team that went to that Vikings championship game. So he, he must have been Kerry uh, Collins' backup then. Yep. Under head coach Jim Fossil. Mm-hmm. And I, I you know, I, I didn't really find um, this weekend to be Ooh, crazy. Segway? Nice little segue. Thank you. <laughs> uh, yeah, th- this weekend pretty much played out just about how you would script it. I think we uh I think we both predicted that the home teams would cover this weekend and they did. Um I think it was pretty evident that the two home teams were the better teams. And I think we're starting to live in an age now where you know, if you don't see a blowout or 60 points that you started like, well, is this team really that much better or something? These are two better teams. I think it was pretty obvious, especially once, you know, Let's start with Tennessee for a minute. The second Kansas City got the lead, and the second they were able to kind of, you know, keep Henry kind of pedestrian, that game's over. And it was obvious it was over. You know, you, you saw some things like Mahomes, you know, that one uh, touchdown he had on that third down, that running play, fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But does that happen if, with San Francisco's defense? Probably not. I mean – I I mean I don't know. This is going to be an interesting Super Bowl. I uh I I don't even know what to say about the San Francisco Green Bay game. There were how many drives where they didn't even attempt to pass. I, I mean, it truly was make them stop them. Make 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 them stop us. And they Green Bay was just at a loss. The funny thing was, I was arguing with somebody on Twitter after the um, after the first game, and they were like, "This proves it. This proves it. 
pass, 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 pass. You have to pass in this league to win. You know, Dave Gettleman's an asshole for drafting Saquon Barkley number two because in this league, it doesn't matter if you can run the ball. You have to pass, pass, pass. This guy was just going on and on and on about you have to pass in this league. You have to pass. Gettleman was an idiot for for drafting Saquon Barkley, and it's the wrong direction because you have to pass. And not even four hours later, a team goes to the Super Bowl by it making eight pass attempts. It's, it's you know it's just you know a good team and good coaches find ways to win. Going away from what their script is, they go at what works. Why did Jimmy Garoppolo only throw eight times? He didn't have to throw more. He didn't have to throw. Exactly. If something is working, you stick with it. Even if it's something that you never expected to work, from a player you never expected to work, that may never happen again. But for those three hours, if it's being successful, you keep doing it. The game plan goes out the window if you find something that works. You know, Everybody is so quick to say what they just saw is the blueprint for everything else for the rest of time. <laughs> we heard all week about you know every cliche and every hyperbole you can possibly say about Derrick Henry and what a genius you know Tennessee is and you know they don't need another quarterback for Steve Tannehill. They just hand him the ball every time. You know, sample sizes, guys. Look. Watch over a year. Watch over you know body of work. It all kind of evens out what what works and what doesn't work in this league. There, there's there's a few things in here because you know I was engaged in a lot of the same bullshit. And by engaged, I mean I I saw it and I took a deep breath and I moved on and then I saw it and I took a deep breath and I moved on and then I saw it. And I was like I can't take this anymore. I gotta say something. But there's a couple of things here. Number one is passing is more efficient than running. That's probably a fact. That doesn't mean anything. All that means is that you can gain more yards quicker by throwing the ball than running it on a typical basis. Now, that does not mean that in order to win, you must pass a lot. Having a balanced attack works. Running a lot works. Just being good is what works. There are teams that are going to do it running. There are teams that are going to do it passing. And there are teams that are going to do it by having a very good balanced attack. It doesn't matter. You can win in any of those ways. So that's number one. Number two, if you are looking at playoff teams and making any sort of connection to Dave Gettleman and the Giants, you are an idiot because the Giants are not even anywhere near smelling the playoffs. There is no correlation to anything that's going on ideologically or otherwise between playoff teams and the Giants. They are somewhat amiss between head coaches right now with a a, a roster that was inherited in which everyone is now gone and then all young players are now in. There's just no correlation, okay? Third, I don't know where the notion is. I don't understand the notion of Dave Gettleman... This this idea that Dave Gettleman thinks you need to run first in order to win. He's never said that. He has said that in order to win, you need to do three things. You need to run the ball. You need to stop the run. You need to rush the passer. He's never said that you can't win by passing or that running is more important than passing 
Also, fuck anything he's ever said. Forget what GMs and coaches say to the media or to anybody. Look at what they do. What Dave Gettleman has done is draft a quarterback that throws the ball, by the way. He has given a gigantic deal to Odell Beckham Jr. After he's traded him away because he's a pain in the ass, he gave an extension to Sterling Shepard. He signed Golden Tate. Despite getting rid of most of Jerry Reese's draft picks and other roster players, he's decided to keep Evan Ingram, who is a passing phenom and not at all a run-blocking phenom at tight end. Um, And the biggest thing that people point to is drafted Saquon Barkley, who, if you really look at Saquon Barkley and think that's just a running back, you don't know football. Because... This is yeah. He's not Derrick Henley, or he's just going to run the ball no. forty times between the tackles. And he's you know, not Marshawn Lynch. I mean, he yeah, catches he, the ball. He runs great routes. And the biggest problem that we had with Pat Shermer is that he wasn't utilizing Saquon Barkley in that way, in a creative way at all. The only time he was catching passes were on swing routes and little your your standard running back passing routes. When this is not a standard running back, that was always the thing. In my opinion, the most running game move that Dave Gettleman has done or said was getting hog mollies and trading for Kevin Zeitler and drafting Will Hernandez. That's not to say they're not also passing game moves because they're both great in the pass blocking aspect also. So this whole notion that Dave Gettleman thinks you need to run first in order to win is completely made up or sort of skewed out of what he has said to the media, which again... I can't emphasize how often we need to stress this. Doesn't matter what anybody says to the media. And that's 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 yeah, my I mean, rant really, on that whole thing. Well, again, this is the common theme that we've said over and over on this show is that if you didn't like Dave Gettleman going in, you have a narrative about him and you're going to look through anti-Gettleman lenses with everything he says, every move that's made every outcome that happens on the field. So bottom line, if you don't like Dave Gettleman, that's fine, but don't try to poison the well for everybody else because you are skewed with a bias against him for something that just ain't so. Now, we again, we are not Gettleman lovers, not Gettleman supporters. No, no. no. I'm going to get to that in a minute about what we believe and don't believe anyway at the end of the show. But... um, it's just, you know, we just try to just boil down things to what actually happens. Actions mean so much more than words in this league and the way it goes. I mean, Jason Garrett, I think this offense, I just said before, is going to be more vertical than it was before. It's not going to yeah. be. I mean, the goal is not going to be. I mean, remember when, uh, was it when McAdoo became offensive coordinator? The comment was made ne- next year. Eli is going to have the highest completion percentage of his career. Yeah, yeah. Like when I heard that, I was just kind of like, "Well, is that a good or a bad thing?" Because Eli Manning' greatest success in his career has been throwing downfield. Mm-hmm. You know, he's had weapons throughout his throughout his career. You know, the the Mario Manninghams, the the Odell Beckhams, guys that got open downfield. And all of a sudden changed to, you know, a philosophy of an offense that really, besides that one year at Green Bay with Aaron Rodgers, hasn't won Super Bowls, 
Yeah. Right? So, you know, just kind of watch and see who we're acquiring, how the offense is looking, what's actually happening on the field, and then go back to your assessment of what you think is going to happen. One of the most important assistant coach jobs is still open, and that is the offensive line coach. You know, Bill Callahan has decided it, it, it's being reported, although not confirmed yet, that he's going to end up in Cleveland, and that there was some rift between him, him and Jason Garrett. Um, newer news is that uh, Mark Colombo, who was formerly the offensive line coach for the Dallas Cowboys, an assistant offensive coach. I mean, he's a young guy. I mean, he only retired as a player in 2011. So, um, yeah, that name sounds he, familiar too. What, what else? What else is his background? He was an offensive lineman for the Bears, Cowboys. I I think most notably for the Cowboys, his five years there. Um, I, do you have any stint in college at all? Because that name does really ring a different bell to me. Um, Boston College? No. Yeah. Okay. Never mind. Yeah, I, I mean, he, he he played for the Cowboys, so I mean, okay, that should probably probably where your bells are ringing from. But who knows with him <laughs> anyway? My bell's been um, rung quite a bit, so who knows? I, I mean, look, that's one of the best offensive lines in the league. He can't take credit for that, but I mean, that's a good place to start. He's already got familiarity with the with the offensive coordinator, and um. I don't. I don't have a problem with that. It's, it's a. It's a good place to start, and we'll we'll see. It's going to be a, a unit in transition. You know, you're gonna you're gonna be. We're assuming drafting guys for the future, and just, you know, having guys right now just to maintain continuity. You know, we don't know what's happening with Nate Solder. You know, we may draft a left tackle in this draft. We may move him to right tackle or something. We don't know. He's not going to get cut. Is a lot of people want to have happen. That's not happening. You know, we have no one to replace him, and we both believe that he was playing a lot of the year injured. We think he will bounce back next year. But, yeah, I mean, here's the other thing. I, I I hate Hal Hunter more than you know the the average guy, but there is a mix of what was wrong with that offensive line that includes some guys just not that good. I mean, John Halapio. I've been saying since you know last year. I like him. He's probably a good guy. I bet he works really hard. He's he's a fringe backup, and he's playing center. Um, well, not well, not anymore. I mean, he's gonna be out for the year, so we got to replace him. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm just saying in terms of the failures of this offensive line over the years, uh, the last two years specifically. I mean, there's a mix. I mean, there's there's some middling talent in there. There's some below average talent, and we had a bad coach. So I mean, just getting the coach. That's this is not magic shine. Uh, Put put lipstick all over a pig. So, <laughs> yeah, you got you got to get talent. At the end yeah. of the day, talent wins in this league. Yeah. So you know, there's no football next week, so there's not really a whole lot for us to talk about. So unless something major happens, we may not have a show. Uh, we may talk some Super Bowl next week. I think we really get into the game a little bit and kind of. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Yeah. But the best way to find out if we have a show is a to follow this show on um, on your your podcast apps, iTunes and Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, all of those, Podbean, SoundCloud. Um, if if you subscribe there for free, the show is just there when it's ready, and uh, you can just tune and listen. 
If you don't check your podcast apps every day, you can also just follow us on Twitter because we'll always bump it there. And I am at football underscore grump. He's at the cranky fan. Um, and in addition to us bumping the show, we are kind of active on a daily level for, you know, kind of bickering about all kinds of giant things. We'll be right on top of any whispers, rumors, you know, that sort of thing uh, on there as well. So it's a good place to follow us. You can catch me as always on Twitter at the cranky fan where I'm talking about right now, really just, you know, the playoffs, the, the pathetic state of Nick's basketball, my lightning, more recruiting always, but a mix of anything. So uh, I'm at the cranky fan and when you download and subscribe to our wonderful program, be sure and leave us a five-star rating and a nice review. Um, you know, we really appreciate it. We're getting a lot of five-star reviews, a lot of good feedback. It, it really, it really means a lot because we do put a lot of work into the show. It's exciting. You know, it, it's really, it's a, it's fun to, you know, I'm sick of talking to grump all the time. It's fun to talk yep. to new people and, you know, hear different perspectives, whether we are, they agree with us or completely disagree with us. You know, as long as, I don't mind arguing with anybody if it sounds like they know what they're talking about and have an interesting take on things. It's, sure. You know, it's just silly stuff. I'm going to, I'm going to rip you, tear you a new one. But if it's something that's like, you know, yeah, I can see that. I would love to get into those conversations. It's great. It makes us smarter because Lord knows yeah, and we need it. <laughs> I, I've amassed a, a small group of um, people who I, I go back and forth with literally on just about every tweet that I make or retweet yeah. for that matter. I mean, it it really is cool, and you guys are all smart people, and uh, that's really what we're trying to harbor and um, nurture on this show is is an intelligent, calmed down look at this at the at this franchise that we love. Yeah, well, that'd be the dream of mine. Would be one day you actually go to Giant Stadium and go to a game and just don't have eighty thousand people just losing their mind for things they have no reason to lose their mind about. Well, and this, this is a perfect example, and right where I'm going to leave this off. Um, what I haven't seen at Giant Stadium yet, and I hope I don't have to, um, was an experience I had week one of this year where I was in Dallas walking to the stadium from the parking lot, and some dumbass Texan in an actual cowboy hat telling me his prediction for the Super Bowl was Kansas City and New England. So as long as we have no dumbasses like that in Giant <laughs> Stadium, we're already ahead of the curve, man. With that, let's go Giants. Go Giants. <laughs>